When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. It is Tuesday, March 29th. Derek Van Riper here with Al Melchior. Moving through the final weeks of draft season on this episode today, we're going to call this our 2022 Rookies of Interest episode. There was a story article situation that I had last season, breaking down hitters and pitchers. I Unfortunately, I'm not putting that together for this year, but I think this is going to be an effective replacement, taking a look at the redraft prospects that we are most interested in for this season, talking about some of the difficulties of relying on rookies for production in various league formats. Of course, the deeper the league, the easier it is for a young player to make an impact, right? If we're talking about a redraft mono league, an AL or NL only league, it does not take much. Showing up and getting playing time is usually all it takes to make a dent, but if we're talking about a 10-team mixed league, the list of rookies that you might want to have on your rosters this season is a lot shorter. Al, before we dig in, how's it going for you on this Tuesday? Going very well, DVR, and uh, yeah, excited to start our conversation in 2022 about prospects. And I take, I won't say a completely opposite approach to that, but I will occasionally take the flyer on a rookie that I'll have to stash in a 10 or 12 teamer because there is more churning at the bottom of the roster. So if I need a roster spot, uh, you know, I can get somebody uh, that that is useful off of waivers and maybe even have a shot at, at reclaiming uh, that prospect later on. So I think it goes both ways. Yeah, it does. I, I think it kind of comes down to how early in draft season your drafts are. I mean, we're still more than a week away from opening day. And because of the condensed nature of spring training, there's a lot that could still happen in the next eight to nine days. There could be more trades on the horizon that could open up playing time for some of the players we're going to talk about. More injuries, unfortunately, are going to happen between now and then. So you are going to have players that become a lot more valuable and some that become a lot less valuable in the time we still have left before the season begins. That's a factor. And how you build your bench, like where you want to take your chances. I I do think it makes sense if you know you're probably going to cut a player anyway and your choice is uh, mediocre 260 hitter with 18 homer power, five steals, and 60-plus runs in RBIs as kind of a broad projection. Well, that, that's a nice player, but there's more players like that on the wire than there are players that could come in, win a job, and blow those numbers out of the water. And I think that's the mindset you take when you start looking at prospects. You and I have had a few conversations already this draft season about Bobby Witt Jr. He is the most expensive rookie player in the redraft pool right now, firmly inside the top 100 in terms of his ADP, kind of creeping up even to the top 75 of some of the NFBC main event drafts that went down over the weekend. He's having a great spring, and I think it points back to just a broader question when you're looking at young players or any players for that matter. I mean, how much do you care about what's happening on the field during Grapefruit League and Cactus League games as you try to put together the pieces of the puzzle to determine when these players are going to debut and how ready they might actually be to take on those larger roles? Well, in the case of a prospect who's trying to get a, a roster spot, I pay a little bit more attention than I normally do. I mean, for for veterans who have a job locked up, I pay virtually no attention to what they, their performances uh, in spring training. But for, yeah, maybe for somebody like Bobby Witt or somebody maybe who is less assured of seeing a lot of playing time this year, I think it's an important thing because they can make their case in spring training. They can move up the depth chart a little bit perhaps or with a really putrid performance, maybe set themselves back a little bit. So I, I do pay a little bit of attention and especially to, for a hitter, things like strikeouts, uh strike out to walk ratio more so maybe than the the batting average uh, because I, I think that that can be an indicator of what type of progression they're going to be on. 
Yeah, I think with wit, just for the numbers to be thrown out there, it's seven Cactus League games so far. The number I care most about is one strikeout. He struck out one time in 18 at-bats, and I think I'm looking for process-related stats. For hitters, it's what do the plate skills look like? You know, If we're able to get some stat cast numbers, someone hitting the ball exceptionally hard, I think those kinds of things catch my eye. Uh, if you're not falling on your face as a young player in spring training, and I know the quality of the competition you see from at-bat to at-bat can vary a lot, especially early on. I think this year, because we're fast-forwarding through spring training so much, Hopefully, that's less of a concern than it would be in a typical full-length spring training. I'm beginning to have that feeling that I'm going to be wrong, and I don't know if that's just FOMO. I have avoided Bobby Witt Jr. in all of my redraft leagues so far. I have no, I have absolutely no long-term arguments against him as a player whatsoever. None. Zero. I think he's going to be eventually fantasy star. I think he's going to play in multiple all-star games. I think Royals fans are going to wear his jerseys for the better part of the next decade. I think that's exactly where we're headed with him. I have been hesitant to fully buy in at the draft day price, especially in snake drafts, because I'm very skeptical of AAA as a level last year. That is my reason. It's not about Bobby Witt Jr. specifically. It is about AAA being so diluted that a good performance at AAA doesn't carry as much weight. And then, of course, the opportunity cost. Who am I passing on to get wit? Compared to every other player we're talking about, the quality of the player you're passing on in a snake draft to get wit on your roster is very high. It's the highest it'll be of any of these players by a pretty healthy margin. I mean, top 75 to top 100 bats especially are guys that have multi-year track records. Maybe there's one categorical flaw. You know, if you're looking at Corey Seager as an alternative to Bobby Witt Jr., he doesn't steal bases, but he does everything else well. And I think when we last talked about it, it was, do you want the guy that already does all the things you need him to do, or do you want the guy that you're hoping will do all those things? Well, that that kind of makes it easier. The counter-argument here is that Witt could be better than Seager because of the stolen bases especially. He might not hit for an average anywhere close to what Seager does at the big league level, but Witt might be a true five-category player. Witt could be... He could be like a, a Luis Robert, like he could be a, a first, second round sort of guy this time next year. That is in the range of outcomes, but I think we sometimes overestimate the likelihood of a prospect hitting right away and breaking out right away just because we want that to happen. Like I, I like it when rookies are good. Even if I don't have them on my team, it's fun. It's great. But I just I keep coming back to the same conclusion. The market has pushed him up too high, and even if he's very good and I miss out, people had to pay enough to get him where I'm probably not going to lose my league because of it. Well, I, you're not alone in, in that uh, thought. And I mean, I, I'm with you there that I don't have wit on any teams. Uh, I just don't want to take the amount of risk that it, it would require for me to roster him wherever he's going or if it's a, a question of, of bidding. And uh, you and I, DVR, we were talking about the, the GDD league, which you were which you're in. Uh, right before we started recording. And I don't know if you saw this, but Derek Carty tweeted this about uh, the GDD draft. Just one Wander Franco, $19 for the hashtag brand. Same price as Bobby Witt, extra juicy. I just don't understand how an unproven prospect gets this much hype when the number one prospect who's already done well in MLB gets ignored. It shouldn't be close. I completely agree with that. And I've seen this too, where bidding really gets escalated for players who have steals potential. And in this particular case, it's, it's unproven potential. So I guess that's a, you know, that's sort of redundant, uh, unproven potential, but you get my, my point <laughs> <laughs> that uh, it's, it's too much to spend. Again, great numbers last year, 33 homers between double A AA and triple A split the season almost evenly between those two levels, 29 steals. He was only caught 11 times, good success rates. There are lots of ways he could make value. There's lots of ways he can just be good enough to not hurt you. But you can do, I think, just a bit better taking chances on a few of these other bats that we're going to get to. So we're going to do bats up top here. We'll get to the pitchers in the bottom half of this episode. Um, Adley Rutschman's situation, unfortunately, because of an injury, I think is it's just one of those things where he's not off my board, but the problem I'm running into, Al, is that I don't play in that many leagues that have IL spots. And then when it comes to using one of five or one of seven bench spots on a player who I might not get anything from for several weeks, 
I tend to pass on that player, even with a bit of a discount. Uh, in leagues where you do have IL spots, and maybe there's a limited number, three, five, whatever it is, I do think if you're playing, especially in a two-catcher league, it's probably worth taking Rutschman at a discount and saying, I'm going to have an upgrade at the catcher spot once he's healthy. But unfortunately, that's just going to take some time. Yeah, that's what I wound up doing in the last um, the last draft that I did, which was an ale only. And I part of what I wanted to accomplish there was just go all in on Sal Perez. But I was sort of surprised that people have have uh, bought into the value for Perez and uh, are, are spending for him or giving up an early pick. And so, yeah, I wound up exactly as you were saying at DVR, just uh, taking the discount on Rutschman and um, hoping that the, the upside will be realized uh, once he's, he's ready to play and, uh, and that it'll be a good return. So uh, I think once the, the catcher crop thins out, which is obviously very, very thin in a mixed league, that's really after about the top nine, uh, then, you know, you might as well go, go with somebody like Rutschman who, if he comes close to the numbers he put up in the minor leagues, you're going to have good batting average. You're going to have a pretty decent power. If you're in an OBP league, you could have a really great odd base percentage and could, could produce some runs in the Orioles lineup. Yeah. I think with Rutschman, I mean, he struck out even less than Bobby Witt Jr. did at the same level last season and Witt's strikeout rate wasn't problematic, but we've seen double digit walk rates everywhere. Rutschman's been as a prospect, there's no reason for the Orioles to hold back on his playing time once he's healthy. It's a tricep strain. They keep giving us sort of vague updates about his health. It doesn't sound like opening day is really a possibility from a health perspective. Plus, there's the added incentive of securing that extra year of service time. I think the good news is for Adley Rutschman, once he's up, he's also going to hit a lot higher in the order than a lot of catchers do. A lot of catchers get stuck in the bottom third of the order. Adley Rutschman is more of a middle third of the order sort of bat for a good team like that's what he projects to become impact catchers are difficult to find so uh, I think he is a good use of one of those IL spots if you have them totally different scenario if you don't have that flexibility I'm curious what you make uh, of Kiebert Ruiz though we saw him debut last season he of course was a big part of the trade that sent Trey Turner and Max Scherzer to the Dodgers Looking at his minor league numbers, Kiebert Ruiz has always done a fantastic job of keeping the K rate down. He puts a ton of balls in play. Uh, we saw an uptick in power last year in AAA in the league that is now once again known as the PCL. So you do have to take those power numbers with the grain of salt. Uh, but I, I just I, I like this profile. He's hit the ball in the air a lot more in the last year than he did previously too. So I think that that unlocks this belief that maybe he can get to his power more consistently than he did in the past. That what we saw at AAA wasn't entirely the result of hitter-friendly conditions from Ruiz. That that could be. I've been really skeptical. I have not drafted Ruiz yet. Uh, I don't imagine that I will in my remaining drafts. I You can look for better or for worse at what he did. Uh, during his time in the majors last year, just 96 plate appearances. But what that did do for us is it, it helped us to see that those contact skills really translated nicely in his first real exposure to major league pitching, a, a strikeout rate under 10%, which is just unbelievable. But the power was not there. That did not translate from uh, from AAA. And given that that is a relatively new development for him in terms of the skill profile, I'm just not going to project it for him this year. Maybe we see it next year but I'm not expecting it this year. So for me, it puts Ruiz in sort of a similar bucket as Austin Nola, who goes much, much later, which is uh, Nola, somebody who over his three seasons has consistently hit for average, but last year, possibly due to injuries, uh, the power just evaporated for Nola. So that's a skill profile that's going really, really late in drafts. And I understand that Ruiz as a, a top prospect has much more immense upside, but uh, it's kind of like what we were saying with Bobby Witt. I'm just not willing to to pay up for the, the possibility that maybe we see a little bit more of that power this year. I don't have Ruiz in any leagues yet. I don't think the price is totally out of bounds, but I, I, I don't think you're getting a discount. I, I think you're kind of paying for the projection and maybe even a little bit more. I'm not that worried about the playing time because uh, Riley Adams, to me, is just a, a clear-cut backup. He's not necessarily a guy that the Nats want to have catching a lot. But it, it could be an adjustment phase where even if Ruiz is putting a lot of balls in play, it takes him a while to start 
driving the ball as well as he did at AAA last year. So it might be a good average, decent counting stats, low power sort of profile at the beginning for Ruiz. Uh, but if you said you're playing in a 10-team mixed league with one catcher, do you want Ruiz as that guy? I would try to prioritize a top-end catcher in a format like that to get an advantage over the rest of the league and let everybody else duke it out for the likes of Ruiz and Tyler Stevenson and, and the, the back end of the top 10 sorts of players that I think there, there's a lot of turnover in that range year over year. So definitely like him long term, uh, just not as locked in on him as a, a redraft target. Uh, how about O'Neill Cruz? I know there was that highlight of him uh, hitting a home run on a breaking ball down at his ankles last week. And uh, you know that's, that's what you can do with the long levers. You can get down and hit pitches like that. And I think the the skeptics are, are going to say he's six seven, and that's a giant strike zone. You're going to need a ton of plate coverage if you're going to to have a zone that size. Where do you fall on on Cruz? Because the Pirates have, to me, like very little reason to hold him back into June. I think there's a, a likely an early call up here. He got a taste of the big leagues at the end of last season. People were excited about the max exit velo on one of his batted balls being incredibly high. We saw power last year at double A. We saw speed. And it was efficiency on the base paths as well. Uh, like it, com- Just comparing him even to wit at the, the price difference. Do you feel like you're getting almost as much ceiling without having to pay full price to get it? No, I don't think it's almost as much ceiling, but I do think that the value is just better. So uh, I would be, and I don't have Cruz on a roster yet either. I think this is going to be a repeating theme for me. I guess I've, I've been prospect averse in drafts this year, but uh, I, I do think that the the price is more reasonable there. Uh, the, the strikeout rates have been a little bit higher for Cruz. Uh, I'm not sure how that the power is going to translate. Um, I, I, looking at the projections, Steamer's got... Cruz written down for 21 home runs and a 278 average. And I'm just really skeptical that we're going to, I mean, that to me is absolute best case scenario. You're talking about uh, the high BABIP rate translating over um, not a big escalation in, in strikeout rate um, that every, everything really is, is very close to the profile that we see in the minor leagues. And we have not seen Cruz play much above double a. So I think that's overly optimistic. And I think, this is another case where this is somebody that I really want in a, a dynasty league, but for 2022, yes, it's a, it's a relatively late dart throw, a great pick, but not somebody that I'm reaching for. Yeah, I'm O for draft season with O'Neill Cruz as well. I think in any other organization, I would fully trust the up in a couple of weeks because it's the Pirates, because they could still just milk it as long as possible and because he didn't spend a lot of time at AAA I could just see them using that as a way to justify waiting longer than they should to give him that opportunity but you got to get people to go to games you got to be got to get people to buy tickets you got to find something to get people excited about the Pirates so hopefully we see a lot of O'Neill Cruz this year Um, I, I see him as more of a I'll have him if someone else has to drop him because they had to wait a long time to get him maybe then I'll be interested With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Seiya Suzuki goes now in the top 150, seeing the more recent ADPs from the weekend. He's not a prospect because he's been a pro in Japan for a long time, but he's eligible for rookie drafts and things. That's why I felt like he was deserving of, of being included on the rundown today. I think we talked about him a couple weeks ago as someone who had a projection from ATC pretty similar to what the system spit out for Christian Yelich. 
and you're still talking about a 40 to 50 pick difference in where Yelich goes versus where Suzuki goes. I'm curious if you've been interested in Suzuki at a rising price. Not at the rising price. Again, have not drafted Suzuki yet, but really intriguing. And I don't know that Suzuki is necessarily a worse bet to reach that projection or exceed it than than, than Christian Yelich has or that, that he is uh, at, at uh, the current ADP. And those projections are really all over the map. So it makes it, to me, really difficult to know exactly where, where to rank Suzuki. But that ATC projection that, that you mentioned, it's actually sort of right in the middle uh, between a more pessimistic uh, projection from uh, the bat and um, a much, much more optimistic projection from Steamer that uh, gives him 287 average with uh, 29 homers, 81 runs, 86 RBIs, and nine steals. Uh, I'm certainly not drafting Suzuki with that projection, but I think that the Yelich uh, comp is it's is pretty spot on. Yeah, I could see him maybe being similar to Dylan Carlson in terms of his output this year. Similar ADPs there. I think where where I don't really know we're going to get from Suzuki, which cat, the, the category I'm most concerned about is stolen bases. I, I, I don't know how much I trust you know, running in other leagues to just come right over and, and, and translate as well. Like I, I, I think that's we see some lower success rates from him, even though he ran a lot in NPB. So I just don't know if the Cubs are going to be as willing to give him green lights as teams in Japan were willing to give him those green lights. But I think he's going to be a good player. I mean, I, I'm I'm pretty optimistic. I think the increased price is fair. He's not a must-draft player where he's going, but I'm not avoiding him in the pick 140 range either. I think there are builds where uh, I would be taking the chance on, on Seiya Suzuki. Moving back to some of the other younger players, though, that are, are going to be hopefully debuting at some point in the relative near future, Julio Rodriguez, I think, is the one of the toughest players of this group to really pin down for a, a debut date. I, I could see the Mariners saying, we're building out what we did last year. He looks ready to us. He's our best option in center field. He projects as one of our top five hitters. Let's just try it and see what happens. I could see them doing that, but we have several years of teams not doing things like that. Uh, but now we're getting to the point where the draft day price is closer to like pick 200, right? We're not talking about early round picks as we move into this group of hitters. Um, have we found a a prospect hitter that you are interested in at his typical price yet? Or do we have to keep going further? <laughs> I think we have to keep going because Rodriguez is another one uh, who I have not drafted yet. And I just have the very same concerns, DVR, that you just mentioned in terms of when does he come up? Uh, this is a, a deeper Mariners roster than we've seen in a while. And I, I look up and down and see, okay, who, who, who would give way? And I guess Abraham Toro, who, if you look, uh, for example, on roster resource, Toro's slated to be the DH. It seems like is likely a place for him as, as anywhere. It seems like he'd be the one who would uh, most likely make way. And then you slot one of the outfielders uh, in his DH or you do some mixing and matching there. But I mean, it's not like there's an obvious hole that the Mariners need to fix right away. Rodriguez still has yet to play in AAA. We still have to see how well he would perform at AAA. So it's just a lot of question marks for me uh, to really be expending uh, a pick, uh, certainly in a, like a 12-teamer, you know, top 200, top 250. Uh, so, that, you know, we're, we're talking about a lot of prospects here that we could talk about as late late, late round picks. And you can always make the argument, yeah, well, you know, compared to who else you might take, there's so much upside there. But you only have so many late-round picks to, to gamble with. <laughs> so Rodriguez is kind of low on the list for me in terms of redraft leagues for uh, using those picks uh, on him. So I know some leagues have a designated minor league stash spot. Even redraft leagues have this. And everybody we've discussed so far, Suzuki, I don't think is going to spend any time in the minors, so he won't be eligible for that spot, but between Witt and Rutschman uh, and O'Neill Cruz and Rodriguez, I guess Kiebert Ruiz is the other exception because I don't expect him to go down to start the season either. These players are all worthy of being stashed in that spot if you have a designated spot that only a minor leaguer or only in a non-available player can go into. I think it's just a, a matter of if you don't have that spot, 
and you only can hold, let's say, one player who's not debuting right away, are you holding a player like this, or are you holding someone who might have an early season injury? If Again, assuming you don't have IL spots, or if you fill up all your IL spots, those are the decisions you have to make in season. I think those are always some of the more difficult things about uh, managing your roster. Spencer Torkelson goes around this range as well. And the Tigers have two prospects that should make significant impacts this year between Spencer Torkelson and Riley Green. Where are you at with their two prospects and, and their timetables and your expectations for them? I mean, Spencer Torkelson, I think, was one of those prospects that went 1-1 because everybody knew he would hit and where he was going to play. And, and that was just a, like a mundane detail in the profile. It was like, well, it doesn't matter where he plays. He's going to hit enough. Is he like an Andrew Vaughn sort of player? Is he even a notch above that? I mean, we saw Vaughn make the leap from high eight of the big leagues last year, have to learn a new position, and he was good, but he was not the kind of guy that if you had him in a 10-team league, you, you weren't getting enough value from that spot from Andrew Vaughn last year. So I, I'm trying to decide if Vaughn is a, a cautionary tale for Torkelson or if Torkelson is just better. And it doesn't even matter what Andrew Vaughn did because Torkelson got to play in the upper levels of the minor leagues. And he showed us a lot of power last year. 25 homers in a combined 90 games at AA and AAA. Tore the cover off the ball at high A to begin the season. I think that level was probably just not enough of a test for him. Uh, So I'm just curious where you fall on on Torkelson compared to these other prospects and how you even compare him to his teammate in Riley Green who goes around the same time. Well, I've already drafted Torkelson, so already that uh, puts him ahead of a lot of the players that we've we've talked about. It's not that I'm without concerns, but I do think there's one less uh, question mark, an important question mark in, in that we should see Torkelson really, really early up, but with the Tigers this year, there's just there's there's nobody uh, conceivably in the way there. Like you said, he saw a, a good amount of time both in Double A and Triple A last year. No drop off going from Double A AA to Triple A, and a lot of power at uh, at both places, both uh, both levels. But uh, despite the fact that Torkelson didn't strike out much, he hasn't struck out much at any level that he's played at so far. He is an extreme fly ball hitter. At least he has been in the minors. So that there, that's a double-edged sword because you are going to see the the power with that approach. But he hit 238 at uh, AAA Toledo up with the Tigers. Uh, all the projections have him at that level or higher, but I, I would take the under. <laughs> I would take the under on that just because you figure he is going to strike out more at the major league level. Maybe he's not going to have a 233 BABIP like he did at Toledo, but I don't know necessarily that he's going to be above like, you know, 250, 260 unless he changes his approach. So there are plenty of players available who can give you lots of power who wind up weighing you down in batting average. So do you go with somebody more proven in that regard, or do you take the chance on Torkelson and hope that he makes some sort of adjustment or has some sort of developmental leap as a rookie in the major leagues? At least in one league, I, I took that uh, that shot on him. Uh, I think this was in TGFBI, and he's uh, filling a, a corner infield slot for me there. Yeah, looking at what he's done so far this spring, only nine games, four strikeouts and 21 at-bats has uh Still looking for that first spring homer, at least at the time of this recording, but not having a, a fall on his face sort of spring, which I think is certainly encouraging. And I, I'd put him in this group of within the first three weeks of opening day, I expect to see him playing uh, in Detroit because they they want to make that push. I, I, I think they're that that's why I get excited about Julio Rodriguez in Seattle, though, too, is I, I feel like the teams that have that urgency are going to be a little more aggressive with these guys to see what they're able to do because every single game might matter as they try to compete for a spot in the expanded playoff field. With Green, I think there's a clear need where he can be their center fielder and settle that spot. And I think with with Green, it's surprising. He's 16 for 17 as a base dealer last year, 24 homers between the two levels. The elevated K rate is a big concern, though. He struck out over 27% of the time at both AA and AAA. That being said, he was very young for the level. Riley Green turned 21 at the end of September last season. So for him to be playing at AA and AAA and to be more than 40% above league average in terms of WRC plus at both of those stops, there is much more good than bad in that profile. The, the K rate is really the only concern. And if you trust 
future scouting grades and what, what people who've had eyes on him are saying, that's not necessarily a long-term concern. But it has to be a short-term concern. It, there's just there's no way that it's not based on what was just happening last year, even with all those things that were going well for him. Yeah, no, I agree. And for that reason, I'm a little less interested in Riley Green than I am Spencer Torkelson. And the way that he got those high WRC pluses, both at AA and AAA, was by getting a lot of hits on balls in play. And unfortunately, with the minor leagues, we don't get the same array of statistical indicators to, to test out the uh, you know the validity of these really high BAPIP rates that he's put up. But I, I just generally am pretty skeptical of those translating to the major leagues. And the, the stolen base appeal, which to me is really one of the main things that you'd be interested in if you were drafting Riley Green, even for like a 15-team league, is I, you know, I feel like it's limited. I mean, the projections have him between like five steals and a dozen for this year. He stole uh, 16 last year across uh, the two levels. So I think that those are really spot on. I feel like all the projections are really spot on. I mean, these projection systems are giving him some credit for being a good hitter on balls and play. And, and the, the, the averages projected averages are still like around 240, 250. So that's not really exciting. I think he'll be a very good big league player sooner rather than later. I am just trying to be careful in more shallow formats, especially I think in a 15 team mixed league, Riley Green has shown enough to be that one player you stash if you're going to play it that way. But I also think if someone else beats you to it, you're, it's probably not going to ruin your season either for, for all of these, these reasons. We'll go rapid fire on a few more hitters. Josh Young on the IL for a while. I would have been really excited about him if he were completely healthy. I think he's just more of a don't forget about him when he comes back in redraft league sort of player for me. Yeah, agreed. Uh, and that's an if. I don't know that he'll necessarily be back, but theoretically he could uh, be up with the Rangers as early, uh, early in quotes, as August. So, yeah, I wouldn't wouldn't be stashing him anywhere, but just wherever you can stash a note to yourself, uh, it's, it's worth doing. Joey Bart getting that opportunity in San Francisco. I think it's the swing and miss that we saw at AAA. He was getting to the power more consistently. I could just, I could see him being a typical 230, 240 batting average guy with pop. And if he does that and he handles the staff well, then he'll probably play a lot and be consistently valuable all season for us in two-catcher leagues. Do you think there's enough short-term ceiling with Joey Bart for him to be viable in one-catcher leagues? I do not. Uh, and I think that because he hasn't really performed that well at the major league level, that fortunately he's he's out there. Uh, in those one catcher formats. So maybe just uh, another note to self to, to see uh, how he progresses this year, because I think there is the the upside that he could be a, an impact player in a one catcher league, but I'm not sure enough of it to the degree that I would actually draft him anywhere. How about Jeremy Pena as a late middle infield filler? I mean, is he viable in mixed leagues from the jump, given that Carlos Correa ended up going to the twins and now Houston is turning over that shortstop spot to him? I have just a little bit of worry that um, maybe Nico Gudrum gets a, a lot of playing time there. Uh, it just it was a, that was a curious move to me that they went out and inside Gudrum, and I think between shortstop and, and outfield that he could have some deep league value. But Pena, I, I think whether it's early on in the season or maybe a little later than we'd like, he'll eventually get the bulk of the time at that position, and. Playing time aside, I mean, I, I like the profile. He's a little bit aggressive, but that to me, that isn't necessarily disqualifying as a, a fantasy uh, as a, a fantasy difference maker. And a note that I wrote to myself here is Eddie Rosario, Eddie Rosario at shortstop question mark. I mean, I would take that. And I think that that's what we could see from Pena uh, possibly this year and definitely within a couple of years. Yeah, uh, I think there's there's a good offensive profile coming together it just it might be better served in some of the very deep formats that we play in before it actually bears some fruit in 12 team mixed leagues what are you doing with the rays uh with vidal brujan and josh lowe and their depth chart at this point still looking just the way it did back when we were in lockout times i mean do you see paths for for one or both of those guys that make you excited about them as late flyers late speed is hard to find and both of these guys have run a lot in the upper levels of the minor leagues. 
I think Lowe is the better of the two players from a real-life perspective because he has value at a premium defensive position, being a good defensive center fielder. Bruhan maybe being nudged more into a super utility-type role. But uh, what are you doing with these two guys given our constant need for speed and their still seemingly crowded depth chart in Tampa Bay? Yeah, I've been wanting to draft both in some deeper leagues, like 15-team leagues. Haven't succeeded as of yet, but I think... And you really, DVR, were were instrumental in getting me to see the possibilities for playing time for both of them because I was a little bit skeptical early on. Uh, but like you said, the, the depth chart doesn't look a lot different now than it did several weeks back, but you could still see a path where Yandy Diaz doesn't play that much. He never winds up getting really that much playing time. So I think that maybe third base is a possibility for Bruhan or, you know, certainly part of a, a, a picture uh, where he could assemble some, some pretty regular playing time, kind of be the, uh, the new Joey Wendell in Tampa Bay. And then, like you said, low, uh, there's, there's definitely a defensive need for him uh, once Kiermaier is traded. And I think that's probably just a matter of time. So, yeah, I think both of them can play enough to, to matter, certainly in 14, 15 team leagues and maybe eventually in, in 12 teamers. Maybe that's, that's going to be a, a, a target or a pair of targets that you'll see in, in 12 te- teamers down the line. The only other position player that I'm, I'm thinking about right now is Bryson Stott. I'm just kind of curious to see if he can carve out a role with the Phillies, whether that's in defeating Didi Gregorius for the starting shortstop job, whether it's playing some third base and maybe playing the role that some of us want Alec Bohm to play. Uh, good numbers in the minor leagues, some power, some speed. Redding uh, is always a factor. Double-A Redding, the Phillies affiliate there is a hitter-friendly environment, so take power numbers from that particular spot with the appropriate grain of salt but uh, Bryson Stott I think is worth kind of watching closely even if he's not necessarily viable right away in a 12 team mixed league let's get to some pitching Shane Boz is hurt right now so that is a bummer I think because it was arthroscopic surgery on his elbow to remove loose bodies I'm not having the massive wave of panic about him coming back and and being effective. I think as far as an elbow surgery goes, that would be lower on the list of of concerns. I I think the Rays were going to be very careful with his workload this season anyway. And while it's never good for a pitcher to have surgery or to have any sort of injury, I do think it might, in a roundabout way, give us some clarity about what his workload is going to look like. You know, I, I think when when I would look at projections for for Boz and you see 105 or 125 innings, whatever that range was, you'd say to yourself, when is he going to throw those innings? Like, is it going to be three and four innings at a time to begin the season? Is it going to be skipping starts around the All-Star break? How are the Rays going to do this, especially as a team that has playoff aspirations? But now, if you look at the timetable, it's probably two to three weeks before he throws again. And then it's going to be probably another three to four weeks once he starts throwing again before he's even stretched out enough to possibly work in game situations again, if we're just kind of using a general approach to arm recovery. So add six weeks to today. We're talking about mid-May before he's probably back in the mix for the Rays. Again, we're waiting for more details. But if you have an IL spot, I think Boz is absolutely in consideration to stash. I think the trickier question is, as someone who was very draftable in pretty much all mixed leagues, even with the uncertainty about the shape of his innings previously, are you still willing to draft him if you don't have IL spots? Are you willing to wait it out for four to six weeks or so before he comes back with the hope that he comes back and can give us five innings per outing each time out? I absolutely would do that. And if there's a silver lining to uh, the injury and the time that he's got off, it's that... Uh, once he is back, then I think there's fewer concerns about the the innings uh, because you know he's conceivably missed a quarter of the season or maybe a little bit more. And just the opportunity to have somebody who maybe slides in as as an SP two, given the way that he's pitched in the minors, given the way that he pitched in the three starts that he made for the Rays uh, late last year, it's pretty enticing. And there's just one stat, and I know I shouldn't go here because we're talking about such a small sample, uh, 13 to the third innings. But when you see a, a metric that's just so off the charts good and you think, okay, with more innings, this is going to be a more normal uh, picture. Uh, but a 
Z contact rate in those 13 to third innings with the Rays last year. I mean, you just figure over time, I mean, the worst you would expect is he'd be normal with that skill. And from a rookie, you'll you'll take that. Yeah, absolutely. The the weekend discount, just to get a better sense of where Boz falls in leagues that don't have IL spots, 239 was the ADP in the NFBC main event leagues. And that was a, a collection of drafts where people in the high stakes environment were very risk averse with injuries, as it was pointed out, I think, by Rob Silver and a few, maybe a few other folks also on Twitter. So I'd I think you can have one. And you also have to go into it knowing, oh, I've got injury trouble elsewhere. You may also have to cut him. Like, but at, at that price, at pick 240, if you have to cut someone because of roster problems, that's fine. So I, I think you can justify Boz among the groups of, of young players that you have to wait on a bit. You're just waiting for a different reason since he had that uh, cleanup on his elbow. How about a former Ray who has a lot of job security, doesn't seem to fit the pitching models at all, it's Joe Ryan, important to the Twins as they try to play their way back into postseason contention, has a clear hold on a rotation spot right now. It's a lot of deception, right? It's a lot of a lot of funk, I think, in that hitters just don't pick the ball up really well coming out of his hand. Good results pretty much everywhere he's pitched in the minor leagues. Doesn't walk a lot of guys. Hasn't ever really had a massive home run issue. I guess eight homers in 57 innings last year at AAA. Durham was probably the, the the worst of any sort of skill indicator we've seen from him in the minors. Where are you at with Joe Ryan? Because in my head, he doesn't even feel like a rookie. He just feels like a guy that's always sort of been there, in part because of where he gets drafted, but also because he was never hyped like the bulk of the players we're talking about in this episode. That's funny, because I, I think of him the same way, too, so I'm not exactly sure why. But I you asked me where I am uh, with Ryan. I'm bummed, because I haven't drafted him yet. And I think that uh, the, the ADP, uh, and I'm I'm looking at March, so I'm sure you're looking at something a little bit more recent. I doubt it's changed much, but for, for the month of March, Ryan's at 220 in NFBC drafts. And yeah, like you said, the, the profile doesn't necessarily match the stuff, but he gets the results consistently. And the only thing that really worries me about Ryan is that he has also very consistently been not just a fly ball pitcher, but a pretty extreme one. And with the brief time uh, that he spent up last year, a 28% ground ball rate, which is kind of alarming. But the flip side of it is that with the the 43 combined flies and liners that he allowed, which you know, is a lot for, for a relatively short time in the majors, a 90.4 mile per hour uh, average exit velocity on flies and liners. That's really good. Now, it's a small sample. You don't want to get carried away with it, but it gives us a hint that maybe... Ryan can really be the complete picture in terms of somebody who uh, misses bats, doesn't walk a lot of batters, and also does keep the ball in the park despite a lot of fly balls. I think what is likely to happen with Joe Ryan is we're going to see a elevated home run rate for the first time really ever. I, mean, I mentioned the numbers at Durham, right? I think we could see something like that. We could see him give up 25 homers in 150 innings this year. And that would not surprise me because of the fly ball tendencies, because of because of his approach. Like he's, it, it's a fastball that's just it's a weird fastball. I, I you just got to watch it. I can't really even describe it very well. So it, it's not a high velo pitch. I think it's the kind of thing that when you you miss your spot, I think big league hitters are going to crush it. I think that's the. That's the skills flaw. I don't think control is going to be an issue for Joe Ryan. Like you could very safely say, like he he will have a very low walk rate. I think the the question comes down to where does the K rate actually settle in? I'm not expecting you know, a 30 percent strikeout rate like we saw in those handful of starts with the Twins last year. But is he a 24 to 25 percent K rate guy? That's where the projections have him. If that's what he is, if he's a slightly elevated ERA, good WHIP pitcher. I'm happy with that, where he's going. Right outside the top 200 overall, uh, I think he makes a lot of sense. I don't know if he's going to pitch well enough to be you know, a rookie of the year candidate in the AL, but I think he's going to pitch well enough for us to like using him in most of his starts in leagues of almost all sizes. I mean, if you told me, even in a 10-team league, there's going to be some spots where you want to use Joe Ryan this year, I probably wouldn't fight back against that. Yeah, 
yeah, no, I agree with you 100%. And I also agree with you that I think the, the projections are pretty comfortable. Uh, I mean, you're, you're talking about an ERA, a projected ERA in all the systems that is above four because they're not being optimistic about the home run ratios at all. <laughs> so I think he could maybe beat those. Uh, I understand, you know, you're, you're being more cautious about it and that's probably the, the better way to go with Ryan. But again, for where he's going, uh, if he actually matches these projections and doesn't give you an ERA under four, there's not much loss there. Exactly. Let's go to the rookie pitcher that I think I like as much as anybody that I've played against so far this draft season. It's Reed Detmers. And yeah, I like a guy that had a 740 ERA and a 179 whip in 20 and two-thirds innings last season because it was only 20 and two-thirds innings. I mean, just as... Joe Ryan came up for a handful of starts and was really good. You know, Reed Detmers came up for a handful of starts and was not really good. Uh, had a home run issue, had a walk issue. Control never seemed to be a problem with Detmers coming out of Louisville. He was the 10th overall pick in the 2020 draft. In that draft class, I think it was, if it wasn't a consensus opinion, it was at least a very commonly held opinion that he was the starting pitcher of the college arms in that draft class who was the most big league ready. The curveball's always been good. He picked up Velo last year in the minors. I think what he was doing at double-A last season was really impressive. 97 Ks in 54 innings. I mean, that's a that's a Tarek Skubal sort of K rate in the upper levels of the minor leagues. I think you have to throw out most of what we saw from him last year at the big league level. I think this is a case where if Reed Detmers hadn't debuted last year, the price, the hype, and the interest would all be higher than they are right now. And I realize like seeing a person struggle and and getting that in your head is uh, yeah, that's still that's information that needs to be accounted for. I feel like it's carrying more weight than it should in his projection and subsequently in the way people are treating him this draft season. Yeah, no, I agree. If he didn't pitch for the Angels last year, he'd be I think top three hundred for sure instead of being outside the top four hundred. And yeah, just add him to the list of these late round uh, possibilities because I think there's, I think there is similar home run risk to what we talked about with Ryan, but obviously a ton more strikeout upside. And while it is a, a crowded rotation picture in Anaheim, I don't think that the obstacles are are great. So uh, yeah, I, I like Detmers a lot, and uh, hope that maybe I can pick him up in, in my remaining drafts. I think it's easy to see him still in the mix unless he has some kind of meltdown in a couple of spring outings between now and opening day. I think they would pretty firmly consider him one of their top six starters with Shohei Otani there with a couple guys coming off of injuries. A six-man rotation fits them for so many reasons, and I think that obviously gives us a little more floor with Detmer's opportunity along the way. How about Matt Brash as someone who's been getting increasing amounts of hype? I think the first time... I remember talking about him on this podcast was the end of last season. Matt Eddy from Baseball America came on, and we were talking about some players to possibly stash away and keep her in dynasty leagues that might have been available on the waiver wire. The slider is just pure filth. There's plenty of velo on the fastball, and he's starting to put together a good spring. And some of the questions about Brash a year ago were probably focused on whether or not his command was good enough for him to be a starter. He's starting to show us... like. Yeah, actually, give me a shot in the rotation because I might be really, really good if everything clicks. Yeah, there's opportunity there. A great uh, place to pitch to, at least for the home games, pitching in Seattle. So, yeah, a lot to like with with Brash, too. I think as much as I said that Detmers is is worthwhile as a, a late target, that Brash, I think, does have a clearer path to opportunity, and he's definitely got a better home park, so... Uh, I, I would actually put him a, a tick above Detmers. Yeah, I wonder with Justice Sheffield if they would just say, hey, you're our long guy. That's that's, that's going to be your job to start the season. And they go Ray, Marco Gonzalez, Gilbert, Flexen, Brash as their starting five to begin the season. Pressure coming, I think, from a few more prospects, George Kirby among them. You know, They could bring up more young starters this year. What a great time to be a Mariners fan. I mean, like historically, there haven't been a lot of times where we'd stop and say that, but this absolutely looks like a great time to be a fan of this team with the young talent that they continue to bring onto that roster. Uh, two Reds are in the mix, Hunter Green and Nick Lodolo. Green always has had great velocity. I am 
just skeptical in part because of the ballpark. I think when you make mistakes in Great American Ballpark, they tend to get punished even more than they should sometimes because of the way that ballpark plays. Where do you fall on on these two between Green and Lodolo? Do you have a strong preference for 2022? Is your short-term preference equal to your long-term preference? And and how do you stack these guys up to the other rookie pitchers that we're looking at? I don't, in terms of vis-a-vis each other, I don't really have a strong preference. And I've read conflicting things about who might uh, come up first. Uh, I've read that about Lodolo um, pretty recently. Both have incredible upside. And the thing is that here, this is a, a, a rotation where there's definitely room for them both. I mean, conceivably opening day, but even... Uh, once uh, that that rotation fills out and you've got Luis Castillo and Mike Miner back, uh, you could still see a, a scenario where there's room for both of them. So I think that there'll be some innings limitations just because of workload, but I don't think because of opportunity and the the minor league numbers are just really tantalizing. So they've they've both been uh, late round targets for me. Yeah, injuries plus the trade of Sonny Gray letting Wade Miley go on waivers. It is a lot less crowded in that Cincinnati opening day rotation mix right now than it was a few months ago. I could definitely see them both getting an opportunity, maybe being up and down guys if it doesn't work out. I think, generally speaking, I I look at pitching and I have this attitude that teams should just, when guys are ready, give them a shot. Like, why, why not? What's the, what's the worst that could happen? Send the guy back down. Like, it's, it's not, to me, I don't, Maybe this is just a misunderstanding about the psychology of young pitchers. I feel like it's less damaging to bring up a young pitcher and have him struggle than it is to bring up a young hitter and have that player struggle. Again, could be totally just a, a DVR thing where I'm on my own planet. Uh, I look at these two. I think Green still brings a higher ceiling. I think if I had to take one for this season, it's Green narrowly over Lodolo. But I also think I'm passing on these two because... There are a few other guys that have stuff that's just as enticing, and their home parks are better. And I think when you when you don't have confidence with a pitcher in his home park, that's a terrible spot to be in in mixed leagues, where you don't want to use those guys, because you have an advantage at home. You get a few more calls around the zone at home. You should benefit from those starts. And while the NL Central is a generally soft landing spot with, with plenty of good matchups, Cincinnati pitchers, especially young Cincinnati pitchers, are the group of players that I'm the least confident in being able to take advantage of that situation. Well, fortunately, they both uh, project to miss a lot of bats. So I mm-hmm. maybe downplay the the park factor risk with them a little bit, I suppose, maybe to, to my own detriment. <laughs> but I I just don't worry about it as much with, with either Green or Lodolo. How about this one? Edward Cabrera, who came up last year, also didn't, do well in a very limited debut kind of read Detmers ish really seven starts only 26 in a third innings missed some bats but had issues with home runs had issues with walks and I was really excited about Cabrera as a prospect and I'm still excited about him I think the Marlins situation it's the exact opposite of what I was just describing with Green and Lodola where they bring up a young starter and I'm rounding up and I'm saying I'm, I'm in but I think in this case Cabrera's got electric stuff. It sounds like he's got a new sinker he's been throwing this spring as well. So I'm really curious to see what's next for him. Inexpensive in leagues. I think he's capable of making an impact in shallow mixed leagues this year, Al. How do you see him fitting into the Marlins rotation picture? Yeah, I I agree. And I think that uh, I I don't expect that Cabrera will be in that rotation to start the season. But uh, I think that there could be an opening. Eliezer Hernandez, for one, has had trouble staying healthy. And secondly, has, despite what you were just saying, he has had trouble keeping the ball in Marlins Park. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, home uh, Lone Depot Park. Uh, <laughs> Got to keep these uh, straight. Uh, but uh, yes, I, I think that there's, there's a vulnerability there and Cabrera would... Uh, you know, fill that, fill that nicely. And it's, it's interesting to me too. I don't know that I should necessarily be encouraged by this, but the fact that the Marlins do have a a similar project with Jesus Lazardo, and it's kind of like two for one, like maybe if they can solve the control issues for one, they can do it with the other. So, uh, you know, I think it's, it's a good spot for both of those pitchers and I'm, I'm interested to see, see what happens. I would be willing to take a gamble on either. Yeah, I think of of Green Lodolo, Edward Cabrera, and we'll throw let's throw two more guys in this group. Mackenzie Gore 
in Ronzi Contreras, who's already been sent down to AAA. I think of all five of those guys, I'd like taking the flyer on Gore the most because he seems like he's back this spring. Yeah. But Cabrera's a close second. And I think you're going to find that because people really believed in Mackenzie Gore previously, they're coming back quickly. Like there, There's not going to be a lag for people to start jumping on board with what Gore's been doing this spring with his mechanics looking better, with his velocity coming back, with the results being good. And I think with Cabrera, the reason he's right there, just like right behind Gore at this phase of throwing a dart for me, is the injuries that you mentioned. Pablo Lopez also, like he's a good perining pitcher. I have minimal confidence in Pablo Lopez being able to stay healthy over a full season. I'd love to see it because it'd be great. He'd be extremely valuable if it if it happened. But I mean, 111 and a third big league innings in 2019 is the, the most we've seen from him. 102 and two thirds last year. It's so hard to see more than 140 or 150 from him. And he's not the only guy that you're worried about in that group of starters. So there's multiple paths there. Cabrera could just pitch well enough where they could make a spot for him. This is another team that could actually switch to a six-man rotation. And it would probably be justified. Yeah, it would make a lot of sense. Uh, and there's definitely a, a dilemma there as to whether or not that makes it less interesting to roster somebody like Cabrera. But I think certainly in the long run, it, it uh, benefits everybody in that rotation. As for uh, Gore and Contreras, I, I agree with your assessment there. Gore just has uh, such an opportunity there in San Diego. I mean, I just I don't know how they went so quickly from having all that excess depth to really needing somebody to fill that fifth spot. So I don't think that Nick Martinez is going to be the answer to that as, uh, as well as Gore could be. So uh, I, I like the opportunity there. Obviously, Gore's having a very, very encouraging spring. So uh, I'm, I'm back on board with him. And Contreras, he obviously has opportunity whenever the, the Pirates deem him ready. And uh, yeah, it's a lot of uh, pitching, pitching prospects to consider. And as is the case every year. Some of them are going to disappoint us. You never know exactly who who it will be. But uh, given that they're all going late, uh, I'd be happy with picking up uh, you know any any combination of the the prospects here that we've talked about. Yeah, and I would throw Grayson Rodriguez's name into the, the yeah. back part of this conversation too. I mean, clear path. Uh, I think one thing that has been really kind of emphasized by Keith Law on the Athletic Baseball Show is just the way that the Orioles have used him in-game in the minor leagues leaves you with some some questions about how, from a development perspective, they're going to get him completely stretched out as a 90-plus pitch per outing sort of starter. Are they going to do that all at once? Are they going to do it progressively? Uh, that leads to some subsequent questions about you know, win probability and, and, and just the value of the innings that he does give us, right? Is he going to give us as many innings as we want? But I think from a talent perspective, I'm very interested, and there's there's not enough big league talent there holding him back. It's just a matter of of when they want to actually give him that chance. There's other rookie-eligible players that we obviously didn't dig into that could be very interesting this year. I want to see how the Yankees use Luis Heel. You know, I, I want to see if if Tristan Casas has a, a path to some playing time in Boston eventually. The reason a lot of those players are, are not part of this conversation is because their their redraft appeal is very limited for now, even though they're very uh, relevant for you know, watch lists. Seth Beer might be a, a quiet winner in the NL from the Universal DH. You know, this is a guy that hits but doesn't have a position. The D-backs need offense. So I think he's kind of interesting. Uh, C.J. Abrams is one of the, the top-end prospects in the National League where it's just a question of, of when he's going to get that opportunity. And the Tatis injury might actually accelerate his timetable. I have not been targeting Abrams outside of NL-only leagues, Al, but I would say he's another impact player kind of looming, and his timetable simply got complicated because of the time he lost last season with an injury. Yeah, uh, that's a good call. And I would go back to the Diamondbacks and say that uh, I think Alec Thomas is somebody who can make a big impact this year. There's uh, an opportunity on that depth chart, and uh, from the minor league, minor league numbers, it looks like Thomas is pretty close to ready if he isn't already. The other uh, last name I'll throw out there, if the Cubs, if they are serious about trying to contend for a playoff spot this year, should Brendan Davis hit the ground running at AAA? I think we'd see him sooner rather than later. So not stashing him because of the possible longer end timetable being June, July, but definitely preparing myself for a May Fabapalooza where Brendan Davis is a player that I'm targeting because he could be their everyday center fielder. That is easily in the range of outcomes there. 
Uh, hopefully, we covered most of the prospects you care about. Again, I know we didn't get to all of them, but if you got a question for a future episode, fantasypods at theathletic.com is the way to email us. You can find Al on Twitter at LMelkyRBB. You can find me at Derek Van Riper. Uh, you can also tweet at us with those questions. We'll get to those. Just indicate it's a podcast question. That way we know to put it on a future episode. Theathletic.com slash fantasy baseball podcast gets you a subscription for $1 a month for the first six months. This is a great time to get in. So if you're having that panic, I don't know what to do. I haven't been paying attention to fantasy baseball until this week. The draft kit will help you a lot. We got a customized ranking sheet in there that is a great tool. Lots of great articles to read as well. And of course, we'll have in-season content every week to help you along the way. That is going to do it for this episode of the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. We're back with you on Wednesday with Under the Radar. 